Hello and welcome to Close Talking Reflections, a special series from the world's most popular poetry analysis podcast. I am your co-host, Jack Rossiter-Munley. And I am your other co-host, Connor McNamara-Stratton. And we are bringing you a bunch of zippy short little episodes on zippy short little poems that are good springboards to reflection and meditation. And we're doing it to close out Poetry Month 2020, because what better way to end what has been a kind of wild month than with a little bit of introspection and reflection precipitated by poetry. I couldn't agree more. And today's poem, as always, is a great one. And very quickly before we get into it, we always appreciate ratings and reviews over on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. So if you've got a second and your heart is so moved, a five-star rating and a couple of kind words are, uh, they never go wrong. And they also help us slay the algorithmical dragons (laughs) <laughs> that try to keep us noble St. George's of poetry down. Though, as myth foretells, we shall triumph eventually, but we can't do it without your help. It means a lot. It really means a lot. And it helps a lot. So thank you in advance. Um, today's poem is from our current poet laureate, Joy Harjo, born near Tulsa, Oklahoma, a city that is soon to become near and dear to my heart as I investigate its musical history in greater depth. Um, But that is that is not why this poem was selected. Um, I really enjoy this poem for a lot of reasons. We'll get into that in a second. But here it is. It's called Invisible Fish. Invisible Fish by Joy Harjo. Invisible fish swim this ghost ocean now described by waves of sand, by water worn rock. Soon the fish will learn to walk. Then humans will come ashore and paint dreams on the dying stone. Then later, much later, the ocean floor will be punctuated by Chevy trucks carrying the dreamer's descendants who are going to the store. So good. It's really good. I like it for a whole lot of different reasons. I like that it goes down easy. Um, <laughs> like, like it's, I, I always kind of respond to that, but I feel like particularly this poem is like, it's very easy to read through. It's not tripping you up with anything. And it still manages to contain a lot of good things to think about. Yeah, no, that's very true. It, it contains its depths, but it's, it's clear water, you know. Um, I like that a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's, it's a really, and so it's a prose poem. And it's, yeah, it's like, a, this one's pretty clear in some ways but it's also it's kind of like i don't even know how to describe a little play by play but it's sort of like a a a kind of like this is the story of the world or like one story of the world and like it contains a lot of time within it so it begins with you know um the ocean and then the fish who are invisible sort of like get legs and it's kind of like evolution perhaps and come ashore and then there's humans but it's like they're painting on stone so you know this is sort of like very early humans and then we get the Chevy trucks who are kind of on the same land um, and descended from those paint dreamers but now they're going to this store. (laughs) Yeah absolutely and I sort of take this to be uh, because you know, Joy Harjo is from Oklahoma. I also take this to be a little bit like thinking about evolutionary history from the standpoint of the middle of the United States, which used to be the Great Inland Sea. 
And so if you're just standing there, you're kind of surrounded by all of the invisible fish in the ocean that has since disappeared and has now been replaced by not necessarily arid land, but obviously it's not underwater anymore. So it's also, I feel it's sort of rooted in that place. And I like that too, because it is, you know, bringing to bear all of evolutionary history on a moment of sort of standing around and, and looking at what's around you. And it's a, it's a cool, the, that central image of the invisible fish is such a nice like way of thinking about it that they're even still here sort of. Yeah, it's like you're standing on the floor of what used to be the ocean and you just sort of look around and you see them swimming through the air. Like, how cool is that? Um, Also, just the term ghost ocean is a great, it's a great image and it's great sonically. It's so cool. Right out the gate, just invisible fish swim this ghost ocean. It's like, what? Stop it. Come on. yeah yeah and the just like time is so weird in this poem in a cool way but like that first sentence yeah you're you're on land it's the present day the ghost ocean it's almost like you're in like sand dunes or something or or like you know something like that where you have the the waves of sand or you're in like some kind of what are those probably this isn't in Oklahoma but like former rivers that are now kind of like these canyon or like narrow canyon kind of places with the water-worn rock is kind of the first image that I was thinking of. But like the waves of sand is like a nice connection there. And the fact that it's being, the word described, I like that a lot and how it's like there's there's a story here in the ghost ocean that's still being told even though even though the ocean is a ghost. Yeah, and described by waves of sand is so cool too because it also gives that sense of like the definition of the ghost ocean is these like remnant outlines that you can see, but they themselves not only are water-worn rock, but later on it's dying stone. Like the rocks themselves keep getting personified because they too remain in flux and changing. Uh, And that sense that I feel permeates this poem, which is part of why I really like it and part of why I picked it, is because you do feel the motion of time doesn't stop at any point. Like the poem isn't driving towards some climactic moment with its history that it's bringing. It's not like some poems uh, like we did Marie Howe's What the Living Do. That sort of builds to a moment of feeling and realization where it's a mundane moment where she's going to the store and it all kind of converges on, on a point. And this doesn't have one of those convergent points. This is kind of an ongoing flux and flow. And the degree to which it ends, you almost feel like it's a lackluster ending or it's a, you know, anticlimactic ending where it's like Chevy trucks carrying the dreamers descendants who are going to the store. (laughs) Like everyday life is continuing on oblivious and not like with any stigma attached to being oblivious of the evolutionary past that is going on all around all the time. Um, It's just kind of stating the fact that like we go about our lives and we don't have to think about this, but it also is like happening all around us. And it's something we can be aware of should we choose to be, you know? Um, And I feel like that sort of cyclical, gentle, ongoing thing keeps happening in the background, even after you end up grounded with the Chevy trucks that are doing a discrete task 
you've been set up to keep remembering all of the other things that you're told are happening all around. Like the invisible fish are still in this ghost ocean that surrounds the Chevy trucks, you know, like they're, they're still ongoing. Right. Right. No, that's really right. And yeah, the way that the, I feel like the way that Harjo uses tense in this poem, like helps kind of create that ongoing effect where we start with, you know, swim this ghost ocean now so we're kind of in the present tense then we have like soon the fish will learn to walk which is like in future tense soon they're going to learn to walk but that what's being described is like back into way prehistoric time where um or at least one reading of it is like we're about to get amphibians kind of thing and so it's like this simultaneous in the future of in terms of the sentence, but what's being described is way in the past of what was the now. Um, and then, you know, you have like, then humans will come ashore and, you know, then much later the ocean floor will be punctuated. And by the time we get to the Chevy trucks, in a way, it's like we're at the now present of the first sentence of the ghost ocean in some kind of way, or at least that's a possibility, but we're still, by the end, we're still in the future tense. And yeah, like kind of that sort of like messing with chronological time, you know, sort of upsets the poem's ability in in an intentional way to like have the kind of effect that your the Marie Howe poem does where it's hard to like build to a moment when your moment is both like way in the past and also in the future. It's perfect for this poem, which is kind of, I think, trying to be in one place and sort of like feel all the times of that place sort of together. And in that way, the kind of lackluster ending with the Chevy trucks going to the store is both kind of funny. And I agree that it's not like, judgmental but it is also like man we're really worried about you know like getting our groceries and things uh in our little trucks uh when we're in the middle of a ghost ocean okay how can we be picking up our rice and vegetables in a ghost ocean okay there's not time for that gotta be thinking about these fish yeah they're everywhere Catch some invisible fish, why don't you? You don't need to go to the deli or whatever. Invisible fish markets open 24-7. Reach your hand out, (laughs) grab, and use your imagination. (laughs) It is true. I did recently watch Spirited Away, and that literally has an invisible fish market. It so does. Which is just to say, I hope you don't actually end up in the invisible fish market because there will be some tests and trials for you, and you've got to have a lot of courage and uh, be able to tell your mom and your dad when they've been turned into a pig apart from other pigs. So anyway. (laughs) Well, part part of what I respond to, and I think you're so right about the way that tense is deployed to just make this like totally swimming in an ocean of time, but very grounded, is that especially given like the current circumstances that we're all living through, that 
sort of anticlimactic, humorous final line takes on a, a, a great deal more meaning because now trips to the store are like a very serious consideration in my life um, and in the lives of many people. And so that's part of why this poem came to mind for me because it is one that for a lot of reasons resonates I think presently, but just because it also specifically mentions going to the store, I was <laughs> like, huh, interesting. And I feel like it is nice to see a poem that places as much importance on going to the store <laughs> as I do right now, which is that it's very important and it's a big decision. Um, and I know that maybe in the initial uh, intention of the poem, that was not the case, but <laughs> I am more than happy to bring that to my reading of it now and I feel like it adds another little twist to what I take away from it. <laughs> no, that is so right. Um, there has never been as many disagreements or heated discussions concerning just the topic of store going. But it's so right because like, even though obviously this poem is not predicting a future pandemic, you know, as you were saying, <laughs> it is introducing this idea of constant change and like putting all these times in one place. And part of the funniness of the end is like, it's the mundanity of it too. But the other part is like, for us as humans, like with our sense of time being like, we got, you know, 110 years, if we're like the most old ever, and mostly probably 70 to 80 years or something of like, that's all of it, you know, that for many people, going to the store is a permanent sort of feature of everyday life. And like the fact that this pandemic has kind of disrupted so much that it has like made those mundane, permanent features of life suddenly precarious and suddenly also important because at the store is food and food actually is not guaranteed. All that's to say is like, I do think even if it's not in the explicit intention there, the poem does kind of like, it defamiliarizes, uh, which is a word I've said many times this week, much more than I usually do, the store going experience in a way that is particularly resonant right now, which is like suddenly that is a quite strange thing to do, though obviously still necessary. And yeah, I, yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. Um, I also love the way that, you know, um, the trucks are carrying the dreamers descendants and, you know, the, the dream is, you know, sort of a callback to the previous sentence of, then humans will come ashore and paint dreams on the dying stone. That's like another way of like, not only does this poem have all these times kind of coexisting, but it also is, you know, like ancestry and heritage and, dis and descendants is like very much, you know, another sort of connective tissue that the store goers are of the same people that painted, you know, their dreams on the stone many, you know, tens of thousands to a hundred plus thousand years ago. And there's the implicit connection between those humans and then the fish who learned to walk and then the fish who learned to walk and the invisible fish in the ocean. Like it really does go all the way back. 
which is something else I really like about this poem is that it does feel like it is, I don't know, it's pointing towards a whole connectedness that, as you were saying with the the notion about the tenses, then feels like it extends on after the poem ends and like it keeps going into the future and more than just placing the present in context of the past, it's also pointing forward somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. One thing that now going through this pandemic has is its own way of like lens of seeing everything and being in the world. And we're, you know, we were talking about like going to the stores suddenly strange and it's just helpful. I don't know. This poem is like a nice, in some ways it's nice to have other <laughs> poems that are doing like that, that are doing other kinds of re-seeing because the other thing that's hard right now for me sometimes is like, it's like you want a different pair of glasses. Like you don't want to always see through the lens of pandemic. Although obviously, you know, one opt to for good reason, but like also being able to see the store as like a place that the descendants of the dream stone painters amidst the ghost ocean of invisible fish is like, I don't know, it's helpful for me to keep sort of adding these different like pairs of glasses for, you know. Um, no, I like that a lot because it is something that's really handy that I think is an important function that art and literature and poetry and all that stuff can can serve right now, which is that as much as it can be used as a lens through which to more clearly see the present, it can also be a gateway to you know, just another way of being or another place or another time that you want to, you know, escape for a couple minutes from the present. I think another thing for me that that drew me to this poem is not, it's similar to that, I think, which is that in a lot of, you know, contemporary life, there isn't a lot of really serious consideration about the future because we are all so involved in this moment and the degree to which the future is being considered is like, how do we figure this specific thing out? And I understand the importance of that and I'm as invested in that as like anybody, but on a conceptual level, it feels like the future is no longer something that we feel comfortable engaging with just because it's so uncertain. And I know my own future is uncertain, graduating from graduate school in the next few weeks to who knows what i don't know i'm probably going to be still here wherever i get a job i'm still going to be in this room doing it so whatever <laughs> um <clears throat> but my point is the other reason that i thought of this poem is because while i am not immersing myself in apocalypse fiction for obvious reasons the ending of cormac mccarthy's the road is very i feel similar in spirit to uh, what I get out of this poem because it is sort of forward-looking and it is actually very forward-looking about an uncertain future. And it also mentions fish. But without <laughs> spoiling the road, there's a whole theme in it about carrying the light, this nebulous idea of carrying the light forward through this post-apocalyptic world. And like this man and his kids see all of these various horrible things that have to do with the apocalypse, but the book ends on this kind of hopeful note uh, and I have it to hand. So, and it's also interesting because it's another, it's forward looking, but it is forward looking by also starting backwards and starting with this sort and because Cormac McCarthy is who he is as a stylist, the prose is very 
quasi-biblical and it throws in all these words that feel like somewhat archaeological or like they're almost technical Latinate terms for things. He loves to do that. So anyway, this is like the last two paragraphs of The Road. The woman, when she saw him, put her arms around him and held him. Oh, she said, I'm so glad to see you. She would talk to him sometimes about God. He tried to talk to God, but the best thing was to talk to his father. And he did talk to him, and he didn't forget. The woman said that was all right. She said the breath of God was his breath yet, though it passed from man to man through all of time. Once, there were brook trout in the streams in the mountains. You could see them standing in the amber current where the white edges of their fins wimpled softly in the flow. They smelled of moss in your hand, polished and muscular and torsional. On their backs were vermiculate patterns that were maps of the world in its becoming, maps and mazes of a thing which could not be put back, not be made right again. In the deep glens where they lived, all things were older than man and they hummed of mystery. So it's sort of this turn that the book takes towards a little bit of hopefulness at the end where, you know, the old world may not return, but there is still something essential living within it that, that is almost waiting to, to be resprung and recreated. And so I get a very similar feeling from this poem that I do when I, when I read that. Yeah, those two, they both seem quite connected. Um, yeah, the last sort of thought, I don't know why it makes me think of this, but just like the other thing is too, sometimes I feel like I and others can get in this whole like Chevy trucks, like machines, technology, going to the store, like all these things are like fake life or, you know, you know, it's like the extreme version is like, we need to return we need to get back to the earth and like reject all of this modernity and capitalist blah, 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 which to be clear, capitalism, we can reject, but the Chevy truck in particular, we also must reject for climate change reasons. But all that's to say is like the poem is nice too, in that it includes the Chevy truck and the going to the store in the same world as the ghost ocean and the invisible fish and the dream, the dreamers painting on the dying stones. And like, I also feel like it's, it's important to know, like the other part that's weird is like sometimes going to the store right now, while it's also like very stressful, <laughs> there's something beautiful about it too sometimes to me where I'm just like, like here we all are like coming from our i don't know going to this space and like finding the i don't know the food that we want it's not like a great uh way of describing it but it's like such a i don't know it it like is its own kind of um ritual and like has its own kind of is of this world and you know, it's not necessarily a permanent part of the world, but it's like, it's not, you know, something that's so alien or so this and that. And 
I feel like there's this hard balance of like trying to both accept that things change and things, some things die and some things, you know, will no longer be, you know, in the future, but that like, while they're here, it's not like the fact that they weren't always and won't be in the future doesn't mean that like they shouldn't be in the present necessarily. And like being able to be like sort of mindful of the, the reality of the things that also pass um, is a difficult thing to do. Um, But I think that, yeah, this poem is kind of helpful for me in, in accessing that. I like that. I like that a lot. Should we read it again? Let's do it. This is Invisible Fish by Joy Harjo. Invisible fish swim this ghost ocean, now described by waves of sand, by water-worn rock. Soon the fish will learn to walk. Then humans will come ashore and paint dreams on the dying stone. Then later, much later, the ocean floor will be punctuated by Chevy trucks, carrying the dreamer's descendants who are going to the store. us on Facebook at facebook.com slash close talking or on Twitter at close talking. You can follow me and get in touch with me at Connor M. Stratton or Jack on Twitter at Jack Rossiter Munn. You can also send us an email at close talking poetry at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you if there's another reading you have of this poem we discussed or any other poem we've discussed or if there's a piece or work or poem that you'd like us to discuss in a future episode.